0: Welcome to Writers' Forum, a weekly presentation of WRBHFM. I'm Sherry Alexander, and this week we're talking to John Pope, one of the co-authors of Building on the Past, Saving Historic New Orleans. Welcome to Writers' Forum, John. Thanks so much, Sherry. It's good to be here. Glad to see you again. Um, this book is a project of the PRC, but just for a minute before we um, get into this book, let's talk about you for a few minutes. You're from New Orleans. Yes. You um, w- Last time we interviewed you, you had a collection of obituaries that you've written for the Times Picayune. Yeah. And State's Item. And yes. State's Item. And I remember you said that when you're working on advancers, sometimes you call people and you say, this is Pope. No, don't worry. Nobody died. <laughs> All the time. Because it's gotten to
1: where, having done obituaries for nearly 40 years, I can call people and say, the response will be, who died? But, no, it's—I have I, I like to think I've gotten better at it because I'm moving beyond resumes and getting— which my friend Molly Ivins said would be about as flavorful as bus station chili, and to get the personality in
0: to the obituary. That's the, That's the cool thing. Well— I've in not in, not enjoyed reading because the people have passed, but I've enjoyed your description of their lives. You do such a great job. Enjoyment is okay because
1: Marguerite Fox, who used to write obits for the New York Times, said that an obituary is only tangentially about death. It should be the celebration, commemoration of a life well lived. And you can get some humor in there too.
0: Well you do a marvelous job. And Thank that's you. why the PRC Um, in putting together this book. It's about um, saving buildings, and they have a wonderful chapter at the end on obituaries for buildings that were not saved. But let's talk a little more about the project. Uh, Susan Langenhennig uh, was the main writer on this. Yes. She was driving that bus, and she
1: worked with Danielle Del Sol, who's the Preservation Resource Center's executive director, and Chris Granger, photographer, and me, to put this together under the art direction of Liz Jury, and it was the PRC had done publications for a while, but had been there had been on hi, it had been on hiatus for a couple of years after the person who had been in charge of them died. So this we thought would be a way to get back into book publishing, and it's a cool thing because the PRC. Published it, and every penny from sales goes back into PRC projects.
0: Well, let's just make sure people might not be familiar with the work of the um, PRC, the Preservation Resource Center. Um, they've been around since '74. Correct. Um, maybe the Junior League was the impetus to right. get them going. It started. The Junior League started it in '74. Margie
1: Villery, who just died recently, was one of the early leaders. And Margie was deeply into buildings and history, and she saw the importance of saving what was being demolished at the time. And so Margie got things going. And then the PRC decided to make its commitment by establishing its headquarters on what had been part of Skid Row at 604 Julia Street, one of the... 19th century townhouses known as the 13 sisters and it put Mm -hmm. placed a flag placed a flag there and that was the impetus for the revitalization of the warehouse district followed quickly by the world's fair which made people aware of these wonderful buildings down there that could be used for offices and galleries and restaurants
0: used to be called the Warehouse District, but since the PRC has encouraged them, some people call part of it the Arts District. Well, that's around around the Contemporary Arts Center and Arthur Rogers Gallery
1: and other galleries. It's still the whole area is the Warehouse District.
0: Well, I am grateful to the PRC. People might not realize it's not just for, um, you know, beautiful... uh, estate buildings after the storm when we were all forbidden to um, come home they I, I called them and they actually put a blue tarp on my roof till I could get back and get a new roof and and you know it, in other words I have a little sure. shotgun I mean they they help everybody yes that's the that's one
1: thing we wanted to stress with this book that it's not just uptown mansions for instance my friends Adolf and Nadja Bynum are restoring Treme, house by house by house, and they're really making it into quite a show place. And there are places in Lakeview and that are just gorgeous and deserve to be showcased. The old McDonough School on
0: Esplanade Avenue, which is now a charter school, has been splendidly restored. Well, let's talk about the book. Now, the book is divided into five different sections. One section is... Um, well, it includes the, uh, you call it money and moves, and it includes the Sanger Theater. And I know you, you've written about the Sanger Theater. I wrote that piece. The Sanger, which
1: had been walloped by Hurricane Katrina, was restored with a combination of tax credits and grants. And it cost, I think, 50-some-odd million dollars to bring it back into a show play, make it into a show place. And it's really a heck of a job that was done there. There's still, I will get this plug in, the Mighty Morton Wonder Organ, which used to accompany silent movies, still needs to be restored. There's no budget for it, but I'll gladly thump the tub for anybody who wants to donate money to
0: restore the organ. Well, for those not fortunate enough to live in New Orleans or spend time there, the Sanger Theater was a marvelous 1927 building designed to look like an Italian courtyard, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're outside under the stars and everything, and I've been there since the restoration, and it it looks, maybe we don't have the organ, but it sure looks beautiful. It's great. Um, The restoration took into,
1: how to put this delicately, the fact that people are larger (laughs) than there were in 1927, so there are fewer seats, but it's still
0: a mighty fine show place. Well, um, another section of, of the book is Legal Guardians, and um, you all talk about easements, which has a different meaning from what I always considered an easement. And this is somehow, um, you all define it as voluntarily granting part of the, your property to a non in exchange for... Um, well, it reduces your taxes yes. and so on and it makes you eligible for some grant money. Exactly. But you have to promise the nonprofit that you will follow their standards. It's kinda like you're the boss of me now. Exactly. It's a very it's a very cool thing
1: and it has brought about the restoration of a lot of buildings and the PRC is the recipient. It's the nonprofit that you to which you alluded.
0: And I think you said you've given one hundred and twenty four um, you're the beneficiary of one hundred and twenty four of these easements so far mm-hmm. One cool thing about this and other parts of the book is
1: these the stories show you don't have to have a boatload of cash to take on a restoration project because there are. There is money out there that can help you restore your building.
0: Um, th- and in this section, you talk about the Rosa Keller Library, which a lot of people are aware of, because it helped get our new mayor elected. Yes. May, um,
1: mayor Cantrell and my friend Virginia Saucy were two leaders of Broadmoor, and which suffered a lo- sustained a lot of water damage, flooding, in Katrina, and there was a proposal to turn the community into a green dot. And... Cantrell, Saucy, and others said no. And they fought to bring Broadmoor back. And one little bit of, I guess it's irony, that I love in the Rosa Keller Library is the Green Dot Cafe.
0: (laughs) And it actually has green dots on on the wall.
1: Yeah. Um, Rosa, it's also a wonderful tribute to an amazing woman who brought about the integration of the city's libraries. And she also gave money she had set aside for a mink coat to underwrite the, the desegregated Tulane University. What a story.
0: Well, you, you know everybody's story. <laughs> it's my um, job. One of the um, other buildings, it was it had been the Strait University. I was interested in the fact that one of the contributors to the renovation was the Prince of Wales Foundation for the Built Environment? Mm-hmm. I assume that's Prince Charles. Yep, the one and only. Yeah, he. The,
1: the prince has many causes. Some weird, some part, some down to earth, and this is one of them, because he's very concerned about maintaining what is good. I'm glad you brought up Straight University, because that. The book has before and after photos. Before it was just on the verge of collapse. I think it was I think it was scheduled for demolition. And the PRC took it on. It had been the dining hall for Strait University, which was a historically black college that eventually became part of Dillard University. And it has been restored into apartments. And one thing I love is that the PRC's no, Dillard's, I think, it's Dillard's development director lives in one of the apartments on North Claiborne Avenue. It's it's a really, it's a gorgeous restoration job. And again, it shows that PRC goes beyond what you might think of as the people who would, people in neighborhoods who would be interested in historic preservation.
0: Yeah, right. We we talk about uptown mm-hmm. um, and people who ride the streetcar or tourists come here I'm a tourist guide. I'm wearing my tourist guide. Mm-hmm. Um license to remind me that's when they look at New Orleans buildings they're looking at these I guess you'd call them mansions, oh yes, oh yes, they are mansions, but
1: again, there's more to it, just as with obituaries I write, there's more there are more subjects besides carnival monarchs and politicians and criminals. <laughs> there are people who make up what I call the warp and woof of New Orleans as do these buildings and these neighborhoods. I mean, one thing that just intrigues me is that New Orleans is this city of wildly diverse neighborhoods. And they each has a character, and each, if they're lucky, has a really good restaurant or two.
0: And it's, it's a part of the city's richness that deserves to be maintained. And the PRC is making clear that they're there to help everybody... Um, save historic properties, not just the people uptown. Yeah, historic has, it's sort of a loaded term because you think
1: of, oh, gee, think of Gallier Hall or the U.S. Capitol. But the National Trust recognizes buildings of community significance, and that's where a lot of these fit in because they are vital
0: to the community. And Some musicians' houses, which certainly Ah. are not uptown mansions, yeah, there's a whole chapter on those pieces of our musical history that deserve to be maintained. Kid house, yeah. mm-hmm. and I understand you're working on uh, Professor Longhair's house, and even Dr. John's, one of his old places where he, he lived, who just passed. And you have, let's talk about your section now for a little bit, because I, uh, I'm... I have to say it's my favorite. Oh, bless your heart. Because of the befores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I didn't even see the befores, but I've read so much about them, and my very favorite is the railway terminal. I'm a train fanatic, and your first obituary for a lost building is the Southern Railway Terminal. Yes. that was, I was a child when that was there. I don't remember it,
1: but it occupies the new tr- the space between... The Sanger Theater what had been Krauss Department Store. And it was by um, Daniel Burnham who had also de- designed Union Station in Washington. And the pictures are just stunning. And the back when railroad travel was the way to go each station was designed to imbue the people who passed through it with the glory of travel. And But one thing I couldn't help chuckling over was the fact that as people were coming to or leaving in New Orleans and for the first decade or so the station was operating, they rode right past Storyville, the legal red light district. I can only imagine the
0: impressions they got. Well, I can tell you something now that I was going to write about when you leave on a certain train, you go right past the coroner. I just noticed in my last trip there's that, yeah, um
1: well, there that terminal then the only terminal, Lewis Sullivan, the renowned Chicago architect, ever designed, was the original Union Station, which is sort of near where the current Union passenger terminal is, and it was the only station he designed, and one of his associates on the project was an architect you may have heard of, Frank Lloyd Wright. Mm-hmm. And this was back when there were stations, let's see, there was the Daniel Burnham station on Canal Street, there was the Louisville and Nashville terminal near the river. If you look in the movie A Streetcar Named Desire, it's where Blanche Dubois asks how to get to Stanley and Stella's house. There were one in the lower garden district, there was Union Terminal, and there was another one near there. And when... Cars and planes just overtook the, what had been the railroad market. It was decided to consolidate trains into one terminal. And um, lost, lost a bunch of good architecture there.
0: Well, this is radio. People can't see the before and after. Well, but it's, um, I it's, mean, it's, it's imagine, a little park now. Okay,
1: imagine, if you can, a grand, imposing building that soared. The ceilings soared and they just Beaux Art Oh yeah decoration. Yeah, and they made you think, I am really in some place special. And even though the train might not be air conditioned and soot might blow in, I'm still about to have an adventure. Or I'm just coming off an adventure. And that's
0: what the stations were designed to do. A couple of them still do. The The Union Station has been completely renovated in Washington, of oh, course. Oh, it's wonderful. And, and I love the uh, L.A. Station because it looks like Chinatown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it looks like that period of time. Mm. Another um, obituary you wrote for a building was the St. Charles Hotel. That wow. was a Thomas Sully building. Yeah. I had my eighth-grade graduation luncheon there in 1962.
1: Oh, wow. It was a cool building, Um I remember the soaring lobby and little things I remember on the Gravier Street side in tile on the sidewalk were the words ladies entrance. And I thought, quaint. (laughs) Is it designed to shield gentle ladies from the... Vulgarity of travel? I don't know. There's a ladies' entrance outside Bracado, the old Bracado's on Ursuline Street. In There's the court.
0: still one at Rocky and Carlo's down in the parish. All them ladies, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but, no, it's um,
1: it, it was the third hotel on the site, and that the demolition of that hotel made Ada Louise Huxtable mad. She was the New York Times' Pulitzer Prize-winning architecture critic, and she quoted Jack Davis, a friend and state's item columnist, Brought up the issue: Does someone who owns the property have the right to demolish a significant building?
0: Well, and then the old um, oh, and you said that the the slogan "the city that care forgot" came around that. It was and one of the giveaways to travelers that it
1: was, I guess, a brochure of some sort that said that the city care forgot, and that sort of
0: morphed into this tagline for New Orleans. Another uh, building that was lost that you mourn is Temple Sinai's original building. Oh, that There's was... There's still a Temple Sinai, but they're completely uh, different part of town.
1: Yeah, that was a grand structure at 1020, 1032 Carondelet Street. And I remember it from the early 70s as the home of Repertory Theater New Orleans, which was a troupe that June Havoc led and I mean, Julie Harris played there, and the women at a production of Streetcar Named Desire. I was close enough to the stage, it was an arena staging. I could see tears streaming down Blanche's cheeks as she left. And the best was the skin of our teeth. In act two, Havoc played Sabina, and she descended from the dome on a rope. Oh, wow. It was great. And it was. Major. You know it's a parking lot now, right? Yeah. That's, um, that was,
0: people got really mad, but the preservation community was still gestating. Liz Scott, you, you mentioned her. I mean, she had written a piece, of one of the towers or something was saved over uptown uh, Up, Botanelli Place. Mid city.
1: Oh. It's near the. I wrote about the Botanellis years ago, and they have all this stuff just, just off Canal Street near the cemeteries, including the towers. And I'm just. I'm glad to see they're still around. And then the Temple Sinai backed up to the old main library, which, again, I remember from childhood as thing. It was just the vastest, most grand thing I'd ever seen because part of the gimmick there were the steps were deliberately far apart, and you, so you had to go up slowly, and you could just appreciate the grandeur
0: of the building. And that was, that was on Lee's circle. That was one of the Carnegie Libraries, right? I think so, yes. Andrew Carnegie loved libraries. Well, he gave us a couple of little ones around town that are still... The Hubble Library
1: in Algiers, where I've spoken. And there was one at Frenchman and Royal that was trashed in um,
0: Camille. No, Betsy, Hurricane Betsy. And... I the think Nap- the Napoleon, Napoleon one that's now the children's library. Yes. And, but the big one is now uh, k and Plaza... Yes, That was since the 50s. Yeah, it was the first John
1: Hancock Insurance and now K&B Plaza.
0: Well, and then a building that you've written about before, too, um, and there's mixed feelings about tearing down is what we used to call the Rivergate. Yeah, that was um,
1: mixed feelings, and that
0: is an understatement. There were
1: people who loved modern architecture, thought it was just a great look at the future. The roof undulated, and Betsy Mulliner, in the piece about it for the Times Picayune, said it was literally if it were ready to take off. And there were pre-stressed concrete used, and there, were, there was, I don't know I remember the numbers, but there was this vast open space with no supporting beams. It was just the concrete that held it up somehow
0: it was very low, and my understanding is because um, that when they built it, they, they had a lot underground because they thought there was going to be a highway that oh. was going to cut right through the French Quarter. Yeah, that was, um, that was
1: an early preservation victory. Um, there, Robert Moses, who bulldozed most of New York City, had this grand idea for the interstate highway that would just swoop down Elysian Fields and then run along the riverfront, blocking the view of the river from the French quarter and people early on in the late 60s got good and mad and fought it in transportation john volpe
0: killed the transportation secretary john volpe killed the project but there had been and everybody was in favor of it i mean people not everybody that, i mean people that you would not expect and the, the, the mayor and uh, well, a lot c- of
1: the city fathers it, that was back when civic development was thought to be rah-rah great and Part of that plan was to have an underground area for traffic under what is now Harrah's. I think it's used for parking.
0: Yeah, Harrah's replaced the river gate mm-hmm. that got torn down. Well, the book is, is just charming. I mean, it, it's it's one of these things that it's more than just a coffee table book because you describe so well... Um, and, and you have a lot of before and after pictures of these um, renovations. And it's, as you mentioned earlier, uh, kind of a how-to book on, on how if you hook up with the PRC, um, they will help you uh, obtain financing to renovate these buildings. And it's not necessarily a big fancy building, um, as long as it's an historic You've got some historic value. Um the book just came out. It's very pretty. Um I love Michael Lewis's blurb that he wrote for you. Michael Lewis is still on my bucket list to interview, but um he's an author and he's a New Orleans boy and he said, This book is both a history of the heroes who saved New Orleans from capitalism's worst impulses and a gorgeous piece of real estate porn. Absolutely, <laughs> I love, love that, that blurb. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get it in bookstores. You can get it from the PRC. You www.prcno.org/shop. Well, it, it's a, and if you're a member, you get a discount. Oh, a member. of So if you give money to the PRC and join, um, and you know, folks, the PRC has a publication. If Susan were here, I'm sure she would. She's the editor. Be mentioning it. She she worked with you for a long time. At, oh yeah, at the we've been. She and Chris and I have been
1: friends for years. In fact, Chris spent nights in my house in Baton Rouge after Katrina, with the Pope Home for Vagabond Journalists. And Susan is the communications director. She is editor of Preservation in Print, and she drove this bus
0: of the book. Well, it's just a beautiful work of art. Um, we want to thank our guest this week, John Pope, one of the co-authors of a beautiful new book, Building on the Past, Saving Historic New Orleans. I'm Sherry Alexander for WRBH.